0: is Yosemite Land, the Capital Public Radio podcast, where we look at how Yosemite National Park is changing and explore its future. I'm your host, Ezra David Romero. Oh, yeah. they're on top of that. Oh, wow. Yosemite park climbing ranger, Bud Miller, is helping a group of tourists from Australia find climbers through a telescope. We're in a meadow in the middle of Yosemite Valley, and we're looking at one of the most famous rock formations in the park. It's called El Capitan. Wow, it's a lady. A uh, man and a woman. Yeah, that's right. I actually know them. Her name's Caro, and she's a really famous climber from Germany that spends a lot of time in South America. And he's a Norwegian climber named Eric, who's trying to do the entire thing in one day. Climbers are sort of worshipped in Yosemite, but it wasn't always that way. The sport is something that continues to alter Yosemite's identity because of how popular it is. And the people who scale these cliffs in the park say the granite walls here offer some of the best climbing on Earth. Climbers used to be like the bandits or pirates of Yosemite, and that's almost entirely changed. Tourists gawk at them through telescopes, and huge sporting companies sponsor them. There's big money in climbing, but at the same time, climbers are also tourists. And to me, what they do almost feels like selfie culture on steroids. In this episode, I'll introduce you to some rock climbing gods of the past and present, Names like Alex Honnold. We'll also talk about how indoor rock climbing gyms are introducing more and more people to the park. That's a good thing and bad. And also, once again, we come back to the issue of whether there's just too many people visiting this part of the Sierra Nevada. Welcome to Yosemite Land. Almost every climber I spoke with has this unofficial love affair with El Capitan. It's this giant rock formation that towers 3,000 feet above Yosemite Valley. In its own way, the rock beckons people to the park, and it does the same thing for me. When I drive into Yosemite Valley coming through Tunnel View, you come around the corner and you see this giant nose in the park. It's so huge and beautiful, and I often just stand in meadows and stare at it, and I have like a 1,000 pictures on my phone of it. And Ken Yeager is one of these people who's just like me, but he's been in the park for a very long time. When he was 13, he begged his dad to stop, and then he rushed out of the car and touched it for the first time.
1: It was like sparks going into my hand. It was it's really intense. Up to that point, I had never felt so strongly about anything, it changed my life. I just became
0: infatuated with the place. At 17, he moved to Yosemite, and 40 years later, he still lives here. What Ken's most known for is changing the public's perception of rock climbers. Climbers weren't always loved. They'd stay in the park for months at a time, scrounge for food, and many lived the party life with drugs and alcohol. We had no money, so we weren't very welcome
1: because we weren't adding to the economy up here. Like taking showers, sometimes, you know, you'd have to sneak in. It kind of forced you to be a criminal. Suddenly security or the rangers be there, and you're running, grabbing your clothes and running for it.
0: Ken says the Stoneman Meadow riot of 1970 made things worse for climbers because rangers confused them with protesters. The meadow was a popular place for youth to hang out in the 1960s, and the riot was over the purpose and use of Yosemite, and especially in iconic spots like Stoneman Meadow. Here's archived audio from Smithsonian Magazine.
1: There are people who are hurt, a lot of people are hurt, there are clubs and sticks, it's
0: now a wholesale riot. Today, Ken runs the Yosemite Rock Climbing Association, and he wants to open a rock climbing museum in Yosemite. He's fought for change that's both helped climbers and the environment here. A major change has to do with excrement.
1: We just kind of pooped on the rock and the next
0: rainstorm washed it off. Didn't think anything of it. In the 90s, a new rule went into place. They had to start hauling their crap in plastic poop tubes. Ken had me in a fit of giggles over a moment when law enforcement thought a poop tube was a bomb.
1: They found this four-inch PVC pipe leaning against a dumpster down at Devil's Elbow at the picnic area there. I go, oh, I know what that is. Um, and they go, well, we got the bomb squads out there. We're gonna blow it up. And I go, well, if you let me through, I'll defuse it for you. And I was just kind of laughing because I knew what it was, but they actually blew it
0: up. Ken says the base of cliffs in the park are a lot cleaner now, and he says this helped climbers gain respect. As reporting in Yosemite, I hung out with a lot of rock climbers, and they all said three things have pushed the sport into the mainstream. Rock climbing gyms, women climbers, and risk takers. All this has been great for bringing diversity to Yosemite. I met a group of climbers that lived in the park during the 70s. We met at a memorial for this famous rock climber named Jim Bridwell. Here's Rick Akamazo, Mike Graham, and Rob Muir. We
1: we're like the lost boys and the occasional girl <laughs> in this dream world here where we could live for climbing. We all learned outdoors, and that makes a big difference. People progress a lot faster today in the rock gyms. I don't remember really training We went climbing. Workout has become almost as important as the climb itself. They're better than we are. Yeah, they're better than we (laughs) are. Let's let's get that straight. Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) These guys say gyms have changed who climbs from a select few to all sorts of people. Dale Bard climbed in Yosemite during the 70s as well. He says commercialization has amplified America's love for the sport. It became what I call a soccer mom sport, okay? Mom drops off, kid, kid goes into the gym boulders. The kid finds out he's talented. So you do get these extraordinary rock climbers that probably wouldn't have touched it if it weren't so accessible. To find out just how real this idea is, I met up with James Muller-Lally at Pipeworks, a gym in Sacramento a few hours northwest of Yosemite. He's climbed for three years. There should be no noise. That means that that's not rubber rubbing into the wall. There's no wear and tear on your shoes. Today he's bouldering. Outdoors, this means climbing big rocks or small walls without ropes with a foam crash pad on the ground to break a fall. In the gym, it's similar. What are you gonna do? This black B 5 that was set by Ryan. Go to the top. So the first time James climbed, his brother took him up a route on Half Dome. A route is a path up a cliff or a wall that climbers navigate. It's sort of like a trail for hikers. And Half Dome is the iconic formation with a flat face in the park. It's also in the logo of our podcast. That exposure made me feel alone, me in the rock. But I had this piece of rope holding me on. It brought the fear a little bit in. It kind of let me know what I'm doing and the danger of it. Because he trains in the gym, James says he has more confidence outdoors. Just because the style out in Yosemite is just so much different than anywhere else, a lot more headier, heady meaning scary, it's a little more spaced out. And so in the gym, the rope climbing aspect has helped me go for the move, knowing that it's gonna be fine because the system is safe. Ellen Baker climbs at Pipeworks too. She got her start climbing at 11 years old and she says climbing indoors made her brave when scaling Yosemite's granite cliffs.
2: When I was surrounded by the giant rock features out there, I was like, okay, that would be super cool to get up one of those. What do I need to do to learn how to do this? But Ellen says the strength she found on the wall
0: doesn't always translate to the outside world.
2: A lot of people are going out there strong, but a lot of people are kind of scary to climb with and to watch climb because you're like, you have no idea what you're doing. Yes, you are like super strong and you look awesome out there, but maybe check your systems. And if you are not with someone you trust, you can get in some really bad situations.
0: The gym didn't teach Ellen the unexpected, though. Think animals, weather, and falling rocks. Earlier this year, she was attacked by birds while climbing
2: in Spain. These two birds were protecting their nest. I saw them and they started squawking at me. They were aiming for my eyes. I have bird talon marks in my helmet. They were just trying to protect their nest and I shouldn't
0: have been there. Ellen teaches climbing as well and says more than 90% of her students are female. Climbers like Hannah Hall say women are defying stereotypes about the sport. Hannah climbs really, really hard, and she says she strived a lot to not be considered what she calls the girlfriend climber.
2: I know a lot of strong females feel this way, you know, like their worst fear. Because climbing was a male-dominated sport for so long, and now it's not. They bring the girl out because the girl was cute, and they were trying to, like, you know, get in their pants or something. And like, and so it was always this girl kind of, like, flailing and struggling, the girlfriend climber like would never lead or push through fear.
0: Dealing with all that fear was huge for Hannah, and she had to find her own way.
2: I'd always thought like I was a terrible climber because I cried occasionally, and I was like, I'll never work through it, or I'll never be as badass as those girls. And then I realized a lot of females just handle fear differently, and all these amazing climbers who had accomplished so much had had the same process of trying to work through it. Letting go of like always being like, I can't be the girlfriend climber. Like, Sometimes you just have bad days and you're not going to like perform as well or you're not going to be as mentally there because you have other things happening in life. This process
0: is something Sybil Hechtel knows really well, but left in the dust decades ago. In 1973, she and her friend Beverly Johnson completed the first all-female ascent of El Capitan on a route called Triple Direct.
2: Well, women have been better in rock climbing for a really long time. Lynn Hill did the first free ascent of the nose of El Capitan in 1994. That's 24 years ago. And it wasn't repeated until like, I think, 13 years later. Women have been at the forefront of climbing since 1994, where they were climbing harder stuff than any male could do in the world.
0: So far in this episode, we've talked about how simple changes have altered the park. But what does this sport mean to Yosemite and how is it changing the park? Rock climbers say it's changing everything because it's influencing more and more people to visit Yosemite and diversifying who comes. Tommy Caldwell and Alex Honnold are encouraging this change. The 30-somethings are pretty famous and climbed as a team up the nose of El Capitan in less than two hours this summer, setting a record on one of the most iconic routes up El Cap. Here's Alex. I feel like a big part of my success has been because I grew up in the gym and I was slightly stronger than the generation before me. But the generation that's really grown up in modern, high-quality gyms is a huge step beyond me. Two years ago, Alex did something that no one had ever done. He climbed the 3,000-foot face of El Capitan without any ropes or anything to clip him in. This was his dream, and it made him somewhat of a celebrity. I think that my next step is harder free climbing and maybe climbing some uh, hard free routes in a day. My personal vision is maybe a little bit tapped out. You know, like I've kind of lived a few of my dreams and I've done a lot of the things that I aspire to do. And so I think that in a lot of ways... It'll take younger people who are, like, hungrier to show up and sort of push beyond whatever that is. You know, I don't know if I'll be able to keep pushing climbing at all. and you know, I don't know if I'll want to. Tommy Caldwell often climbs with Alex. I met up with him by his van after the duo attempted to scale El Capitan. Today I took a 100-foot fall. <laughs> Did that hurt? <laughs> it didn't hurt, actually. Did it was totally Did you fall and you fine. hit the rock? or? Whatever? I just fell, and I was in a place where there was no ledges below me or anything. That moment sounds frightening to me. Yeah, no, it's super frightening for sure. When Tommy fell, he was about a 1,000 feet up in the air. Tommy says the future of climbing in the park is going to be about free climbing and free soloing. That's where people climb routes with as little material as possible or none.
1: For the first 15 years of the time that I was climbing on El Cap, El Cap would get free climbed like once a year.
0: At this moment, there's probably six or seven parties free climbing on it. From where we're standing, we can see climbers. They're like these little dots on this massive mountain. And, you know, interviewing all these climbers kind of makes me want to climb outdoors, but I don't think I have it in me to climb these massive mountains and stay the night on a 3,000-foot cliff. It sounds terrifying, but for a lot of people, it's invigorating, and it's this adrenaline-pumping thing. And while I was talking to Tommy in this middle of this meadow, two of his fans came up to us and wanted a picture of him. How are you
1: guys doing? Good. My name's Jude. 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 Nice right. to meet you. Hey,
0: I'm Dan. Dan.
1: You guys have been having fun? Yeah, oh, we are. Yeah. <laughs> the dream. Oh, uh, well, good luck, man. <laughs> good, to, yeah. good to meet
0: you. Jude Fouquet and Dan Fomenko fell in love with rock climbing because of a documentary on Netflix called Valley Uprising. They're Californians. From Vacaville and Ventura, here's Dan. It's
1: just awesome getting out here and jumping on the stuff that the legends go on. I mean, most of these
0: routes were established, you know, 60s, 70s, and so it's cool to follow in their footsteps. Jude and Dan invited me to go climbing with them, and we went to this place called The Grack. It's underneath Glacier Point. That's the lookout where you can see all of Yosemite Valley from like 3,000 feet up. It's beautiful.
1: Dan, you think you're going too far to the left? I would just go straight up this, like the ridge.
0: There you go. Both Dan and Jude say that climbing in the gym has given them the courage to climb in Yosemite. That's me, Dan! But at the end of the day, they say they don't have to be as extreme as guys like Tommy or Alex. I know that I'm never gonna be like, you know, one of the greats who does this for a living and climbs,
1: you know, crazy hard stuff on El Cap. You all play, Dan! However, you know, I still have goals. I do wanna climb, you know, the nose on El Cap one day and, you know, if we start getting really good and this becomes more of our life head that way easily.
0: And that little flicker you hear in Dan's voice is reshaping how people view Yosemite. He's one of tons of young people that come into the park every week to practice rock climbing. So the whole point of this podcast is to question commercialization and visitation of the park and how many tourists are coming in. And rock climbers are sort of these glorified tourists in many ways, right? They get to climb up walls and see the park from a different vantage point. But in the end, I don't know if it even matters because there's more and more people who get to enjoy this beautiful place. And that's it for this episode of Yosemite Land. In our fourth episode, we'll talk about how wildfire affects the park. We'll meet Yosemite's first female fire chief and a scientist studying the relationship between climate change and fire. We want to hear from you. Did you learn how to climb in the gym, or has climbing in Yosemite changed your life? Send us an email or a voice memo with your story or ideas, and they just might air in our final episode of the podcast. Yosemite Land is edited by Nick Miller. Sally Schilling is our podcast producer. Our digital editor is Chris Hagen. Linnea Edmire is the executive producer. Our theme song is Arizona Moon by Blue Dot Sessions. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. See photos, maps, and more stories on our website, capradio.org slash Yosemite Land. I'm your host, Ezra David Romero with Capital Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Yosemite Land.